human computer interaction is actually a pretty broad area. It includes like a social aspect, like a social science aspect, as well as like a very traditional, like a mouse or even touch screen based computer, you know, interface. You're listening to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary, here to deconstruct complex computer science topics bit by bit and explain what the tech is going on. And in this episode, I talked to Ryu Suzuki, who is an assistant professor at the University of Calgary, part of the Human Computer Interactions Group. Him and I have a great conversation about his journey to become an assistant professor at the University of Calgary and what technologies him and his team are developing. Okay, let's see what the tech is going on. Hey, what the tech listeners, welcome back. This is Chris, and I'm here with Ryu. Um, Dio, Su- Dio. <laughs> Yo, Dio. Dio Suzuki. He is an assistant professor at the computer science department at UCalgary. He's part of the human computer interactions group at UCalgary, and he's just done a ton of cool stuff in the realms of human computer interaction and robotics in the intersection between those two fields. So I just wanted to get started. How did you first get into computer science? What kind of drove you to the field? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, it's a kind of long story. So I wasn't a computer science student before I joined to the PhD program at the University of Colorado. But I did some kind of startup thing, startup company thing to develop some kind of software engineering, like a software, kind of software developer. So for me, computer science is more like a very mathematical, like, you know, very solid computer science, like a field Mm -hmm. at the point. So I wasn't that interested in that kind of aspect. But yeah, when I look at human computer interaction, Human-computer interaction is more like a very, you know, very interdisciplinary and open-minded, which is somehow kind of pretty close to the startup culture. Like a startup culture is more like a just a making a pro- prototype or making a product itself. And then, yeah, just evaluate with the users. And then, yeah, try to grow, um, you know, the divide the product or something like that. So human-computer interaction is something like a very similar, like a, just to try to make a prototype and evaluate and then just a demonstrate. So I, I realized that computer science didn't have that kind of aspect, but it really fits my interest pretty well. So the reason why I came to the computer science is mostly because I was interested in human-computer interaction. So and human-computer interaction is a sub-part of the computer science. So that's why I joined the computer science. So this is a kind of the quick history about how I got interested in computer science. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So you did your bachelor's degree in engineering at the Tokyo Institute of Mm -hmm. Technology, and you also did a master's degree in economics at the University of Tokyo. Did you take any computer science classes in those degrees when you were kind of finding that that niche in human Mm -hmm. computer interaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I did a couple of courses, including machine learning, like natural language processing, as well as like a computational game theory. So yeah, my so my background is economics, but it's more like a kind of combination of the computer science and economics, uh, which is I mainly focus on like computational game theory, which is a kind of solving like um, you know the. The economics are purely mathematics, but what I did is more like a you know computational analysis of how 
the people behave within like a social networking service, the social media, okay. um, they how, how they, you know, the people interact with each other. So in that case, it's more like a very, a kind of pragmatic, you know, which I needed to analyze like uh, actual data from the Facebook or Twitter, something like that, instead of just uh, making actual theory. So it's sort of the kind of combination of the computer like it's it's really not a pure economics, but it's kind of combination of the computer science. Uh, so that's why I, I did some kind of the aspect before, but I wasn't really you know working on the computer science at that point. At that time, the computer science sounded like uh, like algorithm of the programming language for me. But yeah, after that, I, I realized there is a more kind of broader. <laughs> Area within the computer science, so that's why I switched the gear. You know, switched my interest a little bit more towards computer science. So that's why I joined the PhD program in computer science. After that, very cool, very cool. And you mentioned that you did a startup. What sort of work did that startup do? <laughs> so uh, the startup at that point was the kind of data analysis of it educational like a platform what i did was uh how, how to say a kind of the the platform to help students or people learn the programming something like a code academy uh, the code economy is a kind of interactive programming language learning software mm-hmm. something like that but you know the startup the nature of the startup is you know yeah 80 percent or 90 percent fail so yeah of um, course the company itself is no no longer exists right now but yeah another one was a kind of recruiting platform i developed for it's react actually so i was working as like a lead ios developer at that point so that company was just only like a three or four people at that point like a seven or almost 10 years ago, I think. But now, yeah, they did an IPO in Japan, so. Oh, they did an IPO in Japan, okay. Hey, this is just Chris jumping back in here. I just wanted to explain that an IPO is the initial public offering of a company. Uh, That is when they go and sell parts of their company, so shares, uh, to the general public. Yeah. But I didn't have a stock option, so I I didn't didn't get it, but yeah. (laughs) It's just a part-time, part-time, you know. No, that's right? yeah, that's super it, cool. So yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, I like it. So so take me back. You're you're in Tokyo or in in Japan, and mm-hmm. I I presume that you are doing one of your degrees, either your master's degree or your bachelor's. How did you get involved in this startup? What drew you to that startup, and you know how did you really cement a place for yourself in there? If there's a computer science student listening on the podcast right now and they want to get into startup culture, what kind of words mm-hmm. would you have for them? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think the starting point was I lived in a dormitory, like a, like a graduate housing dormitory or something like that at the University of Tokyo. And then the dormitory is a very, how to say, has a very diverse culture. So it's, you know, yeah, there are there is like a physics student, a mathematics student, and a computer science student. So that we just hang out with each other. So without any disciplinary. So, and then the, we, I, I was interested in like a computer science or developing software. And then just someone else also had a kind of, that kind of similar interest. So I start, we started like a hackathon first. Like uh, we joined, we, we just, you know, just joined a bunch of the hackathon. And we also did a bunch of the hackathon internally. And then the, 
it naturally connects to the community of the startup company in Tokyo. So, um, so it, it's kind of all started from the hackathon within the dormitory. And then the, at that point, also like a, like a startup culture itself is also growing inspired by like a, like a Silicon Valley style. You know, that Japan also tried to catch up to think about it. It's kind of like, you know, and then the, the movie called Social Networks, like, a, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg's, like, a, you know, the movie also came out. And then, yeah, people are kind of, kind of past the idea of trying to change the world or something like that by, by making like a, something cool. So mm -hmm. um, that kind of a culture and atmosphere, you know, the gave me uh, interest more like a startup culture. So it, it's kind of, you know, the, yeah, that kind of thing. For sure. Yeah. So you, you, you did your startup in Japan um, with your team and then Walk me through how you went from there to doing your PhD in computer science at the University of Colorado Boulder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when I was working on like a startup or like a prototype development, I realized that, you know, yeah, most of the startup products are not that cool or not that interesting it's just like a like a copycat of the facebook you know including mine like copycat of facebook like it's kind of just a making a website of like a social network or whatever mm -hmm. and then the idea is I, I probably need to do more like a technique technically not a difficult but technically advanced things uh which takes a while and which takes a time as well as the effort. And then at that time, I didn't, I, I realized I didn't really have any kind of a core technical, how to say, technical skills or as well as, you know, the, I, I also realized that many of the startup from like a Stanford uh, also, yeah, some of the startups, you know, start, some of the startup company from a Stanford actually started from like undergrad student, like a Snapchat or whatever. Mm. but. I realized that most of the South company from like a Stanford or UC Berkeley or whatever uh, started from like a PhD student who have the very solid and technical skills of one very deep area. Mm -hmm. So that's why I realized, okay, I probably didn't have any kind of technical skills or technical deep knowledge about one core area. Mm -hmm. So that's why I probably need to learn or at least need to you know, know about one thing a little bit more in depth. So that's why I became more interested in um, like a, going to the PhD program instead of just continuing, continue, or continuing working on something like a very superficial software. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of choices of the area, but as I said, you know, the human computer interaction was the most relevant to my background with, as well as the interest. So that's why I, I, cho I chose the human computer interaction as the, like a primary area of the PhD. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And your one of your PhD thesis topics that I saw on your website, um, dynamic shape construction and transformation with collective elements. Can you run us through how that connects to um, the intersection between human computer interaction and robotics? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. So human-computer interaction is actually a pretty broad area. It includes like a social aspect, like a social science aspect, as well as like a very traditional, like a mouse or even touch screen based computer, you know, interface, as well as like, um, I don't know, like ubiquitous computing, like a sensor network or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, in within the human computer interaction, uh, there is an area called like a tangible user interfaces or augmented reality interfaces. Well, AR is a kind of becoming popular right now, but it's a it's a this kind of field which are trying to integrate the virtual and the physical world. So, uh, which means that, say for example, right now user interface between human and a computer is mostly dominated by like a computer screen, like a, you know this tiny rectangle screen and That's the mouse or the touch. But if we look at around the world, you know, these kind of, it's actually very separated from what we, where we live and where we do in a computer. So this is a kind of an idea of virtual world or digital world is just a trap within the, you know, the computer screen. But the idea of the augmented reality or tangible user interfaces is how we can actually, you know, instead of just fitting the digital world into the, this tiny rectangle screen, how we can actually blend or, you know, the blend or integrate within the, you know, physical world. So this is a kind of the, one of the kind of growing area in the human, human community interaction. And then I, I now, you know, I am more kind of interested in that kind of area. So, so that's why I, I have been working on like augmented reality, virtual reality, or robotics, which all are related to how we can actually, you know, the leverage computer science aspect, not within a, you know, not within a user interface of the computer screen, but user interface within a physical world. So this is a kind of the general background about what kind of what what is my field about. And then in, how to say, so, and then the, within this, you know, the tangible and augmented reality uh, interface research, uh, there's also um, called like actuated tangible user interfaces, which means that the, the, um, the physical, we, we, we're gonna use the user in, physical user interfaces like you know the, uh, we can blend the like a user interface within a physical world mm -hmm. but uh, the safe changing user interfaces or actually tangible user interfaces is trying to leverage like a robotic technology for user interface of some with, with a computer so which can change the shape which can change the texture or which can change like a you know the actuate the existing object in a in uh, everyday world. So uh, by by that, we are looking at how we can leverage robotics technology for not only for robots, but for like a uh, user interface between human and a computer or physical world. So it's kind of hard to tell without actually showing, <laughs> showing you, but it is the, yeah, that's a kind of you know, general 
yeah, uh, description about what I have. Hey, what the tech listeners? I just wanted to jump in here and let you know where you could find some of Ryu's work. Uh, it is at R-Y-O-S-U-Z-U-K-I dot org. All right, now back to the show. No, for sure. What have been some of your findings so far in terms of what you can do to lever uh, this technology for robotics? So let's see. Um, in like HCI thesis, it's probably a little bit unique in HCI, but um, we are more kind of exploratory um, work which means that um, we are usually not to try to like um, investigate one specific problem, but we are trying to create some kind of problem or like a new space of the, like a computer interface. Say for example, we are more interested in what if we can, we can create like a computer display that is not only the 2D or even not only holographic, but what if we can actually make a physical computer display that can change the shape, like a, like a science fiction, for example. Like I think the Big Hero 6, the movie called Big Hero 6 uh, from Disney, I think uh, there was like a micro tiny robots that can reconfigure just their position to make a kind of computer display like a physical object. But uh, that's the kind of the things that I that I did uh, before. So it's more like a kind of exploratory or like more like a, the proposal of the future user interfaces. And then yeah, we try to investigate like what kind of application we can actually do that. So say for example, imagine like uh, you invent a computer display or you invent a touch, touch display and then the why you can do that or what kind of application could look like. So this is the kind of the question that I and we are trying to uh, propose in, in the thesis or in the in the paper. So it's a little bit kind of different from like, a, um, you, know, you know, it also depends on the sub area of the human community interaction is, but what I did is more like a kind of, just to try to propose a new kind of the human community interaction, human community you know, display, which leverages uh, like a robotics, uh, like a swarm robotics, for example. And then the, the one question is how we can do it, like what kind of technology we should leverage it. And another one is what kind of application we should do it. Like we, we should, you know, what kind of application, like how, how promising this kind of display, mm-hmm. as well as what kind of the design space, like a space of like an interaction model um, could look like. Yeah, so these are kind of the findings uh, I, I could say, yeah. And you mentioned that you've, you've got two big general questions. So what is the technology you can use? And then what is the application? What are mm-hmm. some of those two questions that you found so far? So in terms of application, I think the one interesting application we found is particularly adding, the t- adding a sensation of the touch for virtual augmented reality. So say, for example, in AR or VR, well, I think you, you may be familiar with the AR, VR, but mm-hmm. the VR is like a virtual reality, which is like a purely, you know, like an Oculus Quest or, and then that you can 
like a teleport to to virtual world, mm -hmm. and augmented reality is more like a overlay the virtual content into the physical world. So like Pokemon Go, say for example. But AR and VR are really growing rapidly. But one of the inherent limitation of the AR and VR is it just a visual graphics, which means that, say for example, you can see the Pokemon in AR or AR glasses, but you cannot really touch it because mm -hmm. it's just a visual, that's a virtual, right? So uh, this kind of the, you know, the lack of haptic or tactile sensation breaks the immersion. And sometimes it also significantly decreases the, like, um, like uh, the training effectiveness of the training or like, uh, you know, the experience of the virtual reality in general. Mm -hmm. So one of the thing of these kind of robots or swarm robots or kind of reconfiguring environment can do is we can actually actuate the physical world to enable the user to touch these kind of visual or virtual objects. So say, for example, if you are trying to touch like, I don't know, Pokemon, then the, so imagine, for example, you want like a robot can move to the position to, to the Pokemon so that, you know, they can, they can touch it, for example, in the virtual reality. So this is one, one of the example, but uh, we also did like a, like a swarm robots that kind of move the furniture itself, like a chair or the desk or uh, like a wall or whatever. Um, so the, uh, the virtual reality, you know, the, the, the people are wearing the Oculus Quest can also like a sit down on the virtual chair or touch on the virtual desk or touch on the virtual wall as if they are actually within uh, like, um, like, a, like a physical world. So say for example, one of the application is like a virtual reality is often used for like a construction or architects because they are trying, you know, the virtual reality allows you to um, check these kind of new architecture or new building with the you know, virtual reality. But the, one of the things we can, this kind of haptic interface provide is, you know, the enable this kind of touch, it's the sensation of the touch of this kind of virtual reality uh, so that they can provide more like an immersive experience uh, with this kind of haptic interfaces, yeah. And so, so I'm just trying to envision here have you have you looked into what kind of fabrics or what kind of technologies can emulate different textures mm. for touch? Because I know you mentioned something like a chair or you know a Pokemon. Mm. Those two different things, I'd assume, have different theoretical textures to mm. them. Is there mm. a technology that currently exists that you're looking into that can sh morph texture? So uh, in terms of haptics, there are kind of broad areas. Say, for example, one is like a shape. So say, for example, like um, one, one is a shape. How, how we can actually kind of match the virtual shape and the physical shape. So for example, you are looking at like a water bottle in a virtual reality, mm -hmm. but the, the actual like a object in a physical world can, mm -hmm. be, can be different from the virtual world, right? Yes. So this one is a shape. And another one is the texture, obviously, the te texture you, you mentioned. So what I have been focusing on in my thesis is more like a shape aspect okay. instead of a texture. Okay. So yeah, obviously the texture is one of the important one. 
that the shape would be more important. So the reason why we are trying to make like a physical display is how we can actually make arbitrary 3D shape with dynamical changes kind of arbitrary 3D shape um, with the robotic technology so that uh, we can kind of render like any kind of virtual shape. It's pretty difficult to make a completely you know, accurate shape of the virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, you have this kind of the water bottle that you may need to mimic with like a Lego block, like a square bottle. But the interesting finding is that even with this kind of mismatch, the visual illusion allows you to like, uh, you can believe, oh, this is a more like a, you know, actual bottle, really? even with this kind of square, square shape. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, this this is a kind of interesting idea of the, how we can leverage like a very pseudo shape of the, the haptics, but it really increases uh, the feel of the immersion, immersiveness. So, yeah. And so, so that that's very interesting that you mentioned that when you're in that virtual reality space and you you pick up a mm-hmm. water bottle. And it is square, even though when you're seeing it, it's it's circular. So you're you're even leveraging yeah. the human psyche to you exactly know, perceive things. Um, so that that's exactly. interesting. How did you how did you have that breakthrough, or did, was that a was that some other research that you found on the side? Uh, so this is a kind of, you know, um, I, I also contributed that, but it's a, it's a kind of well-known like a finding in the virtual reality and the haptics. So okay. um, this is not what I exactly found it. Okay. But, uh, what I tried to do is that we could also um, leverage this kind of findings for like robotics haptic technology as well. And even without robotics haptics, and the interesting finding we had is uh, like a, we could, like uh, repurpose existing object with the virtual haptics, which doesn't require kind of any robotics because it's kind of very adaptive. So say for example, one of the interesting thing is we, we all like a virtual reality user has like a pillow or like cushion like this. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we use this kind of pillow to mimic for haptics like a cat in a virtual reality, mm-hmm. and then if you touch something like that, or if you can, you know, then the, it, it even with that kind of the very very minimal like a very you know just simple haptic haptic proxy also significantly increase the immersion of the virtual so yeah people really love you know how they can actually touch the cat instead mm-hmm. of just a kind of gesture of the mid-air so uh, this is a kind of interesting ideas of the how we can uh, significantly increase the reality of the virtual reality without really trying to make the perfect shape of perfect, a perfect texture or perfect position of this kind of virtual reality. And another one, I, what I mentioned is, uh, you know, we, we try to use a kind of robots to deconfigure the environment like a chair or desk. Mm-hmm. But interesting thing of that is even with a small number of the robots, so say, for example, you are in a virtual room, which has like a four desks, four desks and a four tier. Mm-hmm. We can mimic the same thing with just a one tier and a one desk, which is continuously moving around. So say, for example, if you approach to like a desk A, then these robots are trying to place 
the desk and tier to the desk A and the tier A. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, desk B, C, D are just a blank. But even with that, you know, if you are trying to approach to the another desk and then your robot moves to the another desk. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a just a kind of <laughs> uh, continuously reconfiguring the environment it, with just a one, you know, the one single movable tier on the desk. So we actually tested that the participant cannot really, you know, identify if there is a only one tier on desk or okay. there are actually four tier on desk. So interesting. Um, yeah. And and how did how does that work? How does the the robot identify that you know you are moving to say a different part of the room? As you were saying, there's a there's a room mm -hmm. with four chairs and four desks. Um, how does mm -hmm. how does it know that you're moving from one desk to the other desk? So that's where the computer science comes from. So we uh, actually kind of continuously track the human position as well as so where he or she is looking at and then where like a velocity of the next step. Okay. And then the, we uh, try to estimate which desk or tier is the kind of closest, like a, which, like a likelihood, likelihood, like a which desk or tier is gonna be the most likelihood uh, of the, the person is trying to touch. And then yeah, we, we are kind of trying to move it. So, so it's a kind of combination of the computer science. Yeah, so yeah, the scene behind it is the computer science. Uh, you know, we have a lot of like a sensing technique or like optical tracking to uh, of the position as well as the controlling system. But everything is more like a behind the scene. So no one actually really looking into the detail. That's why, you know, we are in the computer science. So the, we are trying to leverage this kind of algorithmic aspect of that. But it's more like an application of the like existing algorithm. And have you involved any social science individuals in this process? Because you mentioned, you know, trying to predict what a person will move to. So going back to the desk example, if there's two desks in my immediate peripheral, and then mm -hmm. I turn my head to the right desk, and then the computer can say, oh, he's looking at the right desk, but he's probably going to go to the right desk. Is there a bit of uh, human body language that you, you're trying to track or any human nature that you're trying to track in, in predicting those movements? In terms of the human aspect, you know, which is also not my research, but one of the interesting things is uh, trying to, how to say, um, so even without moving a desk or chair, mm -hmm. uh, we might be also able to like uh, make a visual illusion of, with just only one static object. So for, mm -hmm. say for example, you can see like a three water bottle in front of you in a virtual reality. Yes. And then the physical world, in the physical world, there's only one water bottle in front of you, mm -hmm. which is just a static. It doesn't really move. Okay. But in VR, uh, you can, modify it so you can see your hand in VR, right? Yes. And uh, you can modify how you see in the virtual reality. So if you say, for example, try to reach out to like a water bottle A, but in VR, you can change the path of the hand, mm. which is kind of try to move, try to, you know, try to change the, like a movement of the hand in VR. Mm. So whenever you are trying to reach out to the like what about the A, B, C. In VR, um, uh, in, in physical world, you are uh, always like a reach out of like a what about the B. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, even without kind of moving object, you can actually kind of make a deception, de deception of like a 
yeah, which is called like a haptic retargeting. And I get an, another question that I have is, you know, I, you mentioned, well, we, we spoke before you were part of a startup um, way back in the day. Do you envision this technology to have consumer application or do you see it more as industry base or, you know, I know there's retailers that are leveraging VR to, to show what a chair might look like in your house. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, the, when I was doing a research, it's probably a little bit difficult for like an immediate consumer product, mm-hmm. but um, there are many industry oriented application in terms of haptics. So particularly, you know, VR is mostly used for like a training, like a flight simulation training or medical training or yeah, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So in that case, maybe there might be no opportunities to make it public. Yeah, you know, to 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 make a startup. But not a consumer product is per se. But for consumer product, I think it's uh, there might be more opportunity in the area of like a handheld or wearable haptics in, in general, because, you know, that should be probably more available for like a, even like a consumer product you know, consumer users. So yeah, because it, it definitely sounds like a, a future product. Cause like what I have in my head is like, oh, this like shape shifting robot that, you know, can mm-hmm. predict like what I want it to do basically, you know, like it it kind mm-hmm. of it knows before I know what I I'm reaching out for in the VR space. So I, I definitely can see the the application that I could see in the world. What do you think will be the, the first environment to use this in a practical um, method? I see, that's a good question. I honestly don't know yet. So we actually make this kind of, you know, the furniture moving spam was for virtual reality because it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But once the company uh, reached out to me, they are more interested in more like a non-BR application, like a just, just moving a furniture um, for everyday use such mm-hmm. as like a medical application, like uh, for elderly people who cannot really, or hospital, say for example. So that might be, yeah, it, I, I didn't really uh, think about that kind of application yet, but um, it turns out like uh, many industry are interested in like uh, making more uh, everyday thing more autonomous. So uh, I think I, I, I can probably see some of the interesting more potential, you know, the product-oriented application in that area. That area. Cool. Very cool. Um, I know on your website you mentioned that you're you're always looking for PhD students, master students, researcher assistants um, to help you with your mm-hmm. research. Would you hire undergrads for this project? Oh, yeah, for sure. And so actually, you know, I am a new assistant professor. I, I just started like an last October or something like that. But this is just, you know, the first year. So mm-hmm. I'm actually working with a couple of students for 502 project, um, which is a more like a project oriented undergrad, you know, research. Okay. So, but I, I don't have any like a master or PhD student yet. But fortunately, uh, we had, a, I think, a couple of uh, masters and PhD student this year. So we are just trying to set up the lab. But uh, I was, I am currently teaching the mixed mixed reality application course in uh, for senior level, like a 599 course. 
And then the uh, some of the undergrad students are interested in working on like a VR AR stuff. So we are uh, planning to work together uh, in, in during the summer. So that um, you know there are many opportunities actually. Um, we are just to try to make a lab uh, right now. Um, and then the uh, we usually like a publish the paper to like a top conference in human computer interaction, uh, CHI or UISD. And then if they are interested in doing research, you know, these kind of like experience would be also really helpful. And then actually the five of the students are going to the master in University of Calgary. So um, we are interested in continuously uh, working on that kind of area. But yeah, so if, you know, another student are interested in working on that, then maybe the uh, the best way is to take courses or able to project. I am super happy to like a supervise um, if they are interested. In. Yeah, so, and then, yeah, we could also, you know, the uh, continuously work during the summer or the spring. Yeah, something like that. And in iLab, you know, we uh, also we also have a pretty strong connection with the industry research. So say for example, we, I, I personally did a uh, research internship at Adobe research and Microsoft research, as well as I also did an internship at the university such as Stanford or UC Berkeley. And we, iLab have, you know, HCI group in University of Calgary has a very strong connection with like a Facebook reality labs or Microsoft Research or Autodesk or Google or whatever. So uh, many of the PhD students actually, you know, PhD or master student actually, you know, do the research during the summer or spring. So that should be an opportunity for like masters uh, to do this kind of internship as well. So yeah, I'm, yeah, so in general, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I am actually working with many undergrad students right now, but I'm also continuously looking for uh, prospective students who are very interested in that kind of idea, so. Cool, yeah, and you mentioned that that class was uh, CPSC 599? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. and is that, that's open to all students, undergrad and master computer science students, or just masters? Oh yeah, so the country I'm teaching for 599, which is, yeah, which is open to the master and the PhD, but most of the students are undergrad, particularly the senior student. Senior undergrad. So, yeah, senior undergrad. So traditionally, that course had a prerequisite, but I just omit prerequisite because you, sometimes the students are more interested in taking these courses. And then the country, there are like a 30-ish, like a 25 to 30-ish student, but um, they are, working, they are doing a pretty good job in making actual AR application with like a Oculus or HoloLens or Android or iPhone because Android and iPhone is a really easy way to make an AR application uh, with their devices. As well as, you know, right now we cannot really, so we usually provide a HoloLens in a class, but we cannot really do that because everything is, is remote. So. Mm -hmm. So the country the students are actually making with their own devices. So that's a kind of, you know, restriction right now, but uh, they're really doing a good job to make an AR application. Um, so it's more like a very uh, project-oriented 
course. Uh, so I, I teach like a web, how, how to make a web AR and how to use a Unity for like an AR application. And then here yeah, we make a demo every class, like a, like a twice in twice in the classes. And then so that we make a kind of simple but interesting demo uh, every week um, until like a first couple of months. And then yeah, the students are now working on like a project, some of which is including like a, the Tetris, making a Tetris for AR with a 3D or using an AR to instruct how to fold origami. Uh, like, you know, you can see, you know, the interaction within the AR or how to help the people to learn foreign language through AR interaction or something like that. You know, yeah, I kind of, kind of find there are many fun projects here. Yeah, no, that so, sounds like a super, super I, cool class. And I hope, uh, I hope people right. listening will, uh, will look into that class and, you know, take it as an option class for their computer science degree. Well, I don't have any other further questions. Do you have any questions for me at all? Let's see. <laughs> Uh, not, not so much. Yeah, but I, I, I just want to emphasize, you know, I, 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 I'm part of the HCI human computer interaction group in mm -hmm. University of Calgary, mm -hmm. uh, which is called iLab. So you can just Google iLab UCalgary, iLab.ucalgary.ca. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can see uh, a bunch of the faculty as well as the students um, uh, are working on a very interesting project, including like a human robot interaction, uh, like a data visualization or data visualization for AR or 3D data visualization, uh, like a digital fabrication, personal fabrication, 3D printing, mm -hmm. as well as like a social cultural aspect of the HCI, um, something like that. So we are actually a pretty growing um, group. And then the, even if you, uh, uh, that, only interested in AR or VR, but um, HCI is a pretty broad. And then we are also having a, we, we, also, we are also pretty, you know, broad, broad HCI group in general. And then, so um, if you're interested in like a human community interaction uh, in general, or like an interdisciplinary work, any kind of interdisciplinary work in computer science, including architecture, like um, uh, graphic design, mechanical engineering, data science or whatever, then the, maybe HCI is a kind of a good <laughs> place to explore. So just check out the website. Hey, listener. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the What The Tech podcast. Thanks again to Ryu Suzuki for being our guest. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at UFC underscore CPSC and leave a review wherever you listen to our podcast.